Good morning, Highland Community Church. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We'll look at verses 2 and 3. Philippians 4, 2 and 3. Let's ask God to guide our time. Father God, we thank you for our studies in the book of Philippians. They've been rich and we have still a few to go. Father, guide our time and allow us to mine your inspired and errant word. Father, we do not want to be hearers of the word only, but as you warn us, we want to be doers as well. So Father, how, allow us to know more about you. Allow us to know what to think and how to act, the attitudes, motives, even the inactivities that we ought to be a part of. Father, guide our time, we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently, I was at a high school graduation party, and while I was there, I was talking to a longtime Highland attender. I've been in Highland uh, more than 19 years, and so these longtime attenders have served in a wide variety of ways before I got here and since I've been here. This husband and wife team are now serving with our young adults, and he wanted me to know how encouraged he is by all of these young adults coming out. They're being discipled in the Word of God. They're in the Word of God. They have mentor couples, and he wanted me to know just how wonderful a job pastors Andrew and Sam are doing. I concur. In fact, I told him I pinched myself. When I think of all the women and men I work with and how God has raised up these co-laborers in the gospel, I just pinch myself. I am so thankful for what God does. This gentleman then went on to say that he's observed that there seems to be a very high level of unity among the staff. And in order to test that hypothesis, he had actually asked some of my co-workers is there real teamwork? Is there real unity? And he wanted me to know that, yes, there is unity, and he is encouraged, which encouraged my heart. Unity. It's a biblical command, is it not? Unity is looking at the bedrock doctrine and theology and striving together to advance the kingdom. Unity is a biblical concept. Uniformity is not. I think sometimes the church confuses unity and uniformity. Let me play around a little bit with the staff, and, and we'll talk about unity and uniformity. Unity would be we're all the same age, but we're not. We have a young bunch of diaper gangsters on staff, and then we have some real wisdom with Dave and Dan Mack. Uniformity would say we have to be all the same age, but unity has different ages all striving together for the gospel. We don't all agree when it comes to sports. We're certainly not uniform. We have individuals, I know it blows my mind as well, but we have individuals like, oh, I don't know, someone who, like Jessica, roots for the Cowboys, or someone like Amy or Isaiah or Jared, who unbelievably root for the Bears, or Andy and Dave who roots for the Vikings, or those who root along with God for the Packers. Unity strives for the gospel even though we don't all agree on those issues. Uniformity would say, if you don't agree that the Packers are God's team, get out of my airspace. We have the same issue with baseball. Unbelievably, we have some that 
that root for the Red Sox, hard to believe. Others root for the Cubbies, and yet many of us root for the Brew Crew and the Yankees, like the Lord does. Unity demands that we agree on the essentials and we pull together for the kingdom of God. Uniformity demands that we agree on all secondary issues, all preference issues. And if you don't agree with me, get out of my air space. We're living in a day and age with a lot of uniformity demanded. We're living in a day and age where perhaps there is more disagreement in the church and outside the church than any time that I can previously remember. I think of COVID-19. Do we all agree on COVID-19? Of course we don't. There are some who believe that it is a worldwide pandemic that believes all of the notoriety that it is getting. There are others who believe that COVID-19 has been overblown and is being used for political uh, persuasion in certain circles. And then there are others that are somewhere in between or part in one way and part in another. And everything in between, we have positions. Or I think about masks. Oh, that's a hot button issue. You want to start a fight? Talk about masks. Whether you wear them because you believe it protects others or perhaps it protects yourself. Or you don't wear them because you think it's a liberty issue. Masks are a hot issue. COVID-19 is a hot issue. But does the Bible give us reason, book, chapter, and verse, that if we don't agree with one another, we can't strive together for the advancement of the kingdom? I would say no. The Bible doesn't give us reason to believe if we can't agree on those issues that we certainly still should work together to advance God's kingdom. Of course, of course, you and I should. I didn't make those examples up, did I? They're all over. They hit where you and I live. Prior to COVID-19, I lived in a YouTube-less life. Oh, what a glorious life it was. But since then, people send me YouTube videos, and, and I try and watch them. This is my observation. YouTubes need ominous music. They need great music and, and all sorts of incredible lighting. They need a very opinionated, non-nuanced speaker and almost no footnotes. That's not the world I want to live in. I'm wonky. I like articles that are peer-reviewed, that have more footnotes than they have actual text that are verifiable. We have differences in how we get our news. And Unity would say, you can have differences. You can end up with different conclusions as long as you agree on the bedrock theology and doctrine of Scripture. But we should not demand uniformity. We get our news from the same source or in the same way, or we come to the same conclusions. There's a difference between unity, which is given to us in Scripture, and uniformity, which is very fleshly. I think this was part of the issue in Philippians chapter 4, 
verses 2 and 3. Listen to God's word. I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyk to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. I don't know about you, but whenever I read this text, I'm horrified. I am so thankful that my name and my dirty laundry didn't end up in the pages of sacred scripture. I would be horrified with the thought of a women's Bible study exegeting a text about my dirty laundry or a men's Bible study talking about how I couldn't get it together and I wasn't walking with the Lord. Now, I know the scholarly answer to this. The scholarly answer is that in the first century, if you really loved somebody, you would name names. You wouldn't sweep their dirty laundry under the rug. That may be the scholarly answer, but for me, no thanks. Leave my dirty laundry out of anyone's exegesis. I'm horrified for these women. But let's be honest. Inquiring individuals want to know, right? What exactly is the dirty laundry? What do we know about Iodia? What do we know about Syntyche? The truth is we don't know a lot. Now a while back, it was Mother's Day, I preached on Acts 16. I try and preach on a text that has something of a woman's subject as the focal point on Mother's Day. And we've been going through Philippians. And in Acts 16, the first known Philippian convert was a gal we call Lydia. And so I thought, I'll preach on this gal called Lydia. Now, I'm careful with what I've said right now, because I said, a gal we call Lydia. It's possible that that's not actually her name. It's possible to read the text as saying that she is a gal from Thyatira in the province of Lydia. It may be that our English text is made a province into her name. That may or may not be true. It's, it's possible to interpret the Greek text both ways. Well, some in the early church thought that the gal from Thyatira in the province of Lydia in Acts 16 was actually Yodia. If that's true, we know that she has known Christ for 11 years, Right? because it was during Paul's second missionary journey that she comes to Christ somewhere around AD 50. And we also know that Paul writes Philippians around AD 61. She's the first known convert of Philippi. So she's been walking with the Lord for 11 years. Acts 16 also tells us that she is a worshiper of God. But even if Acts 16 is not about Yodia and it's not about Syntyk, we know something about this gal. Paul says that he has labored side by side with these gals in the sake and in the work of the gospel. They are true yoke fellow with him. They are leaders. I think they're Titus 2 women. And in Titus 2, the more mature in Christ are to disciple the less mature women in Christ. Yodia and Syntyche are on the more mature side. And I find this to be helpful because sometimes we read the text and we say, oh, they've got to be new Christians. They've got to be immature Christians. They've got to be baby Christians. They can't agree. 
They're either talking at one another or they're talking about one another. They're not sharing life together. There's a fissure between them. There's distance between them. They've got to be immature in Christ. But Paul says no. No, they're, they're not immature in Christ. The problem is they've confused unity and uniformity. Unity is that you and I have the bedrock doctrines, the bedrock theology that we must agree upon, and then we strive together for the sake of the gospel. But on those secondary issues, those preferential issues, those issues that we may have very strong opinions on, but they're not book, chapter, and verse issues, we allow latitude one with another. That seems to be what's going on. We know it's not a doctrinal issue, don't we? Because Paul goes after doctrinal issues. If they were disagreeing on doctrine or theology, Paul would address it. You think in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 and following, when, when someone is preaching a false gospel, how does Paul respond? He said, let them be anathema, let them go to hell. You think in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where they're abusing the Lord's Supper. What does Paul say? Oh, it's not that big a deal. He says, no, no, no. Some of you are sick and some of you are even falling asleep. You're going to die because you've misused the Lord's Supper. If it's a doctrinal issue, if it's a theological issue, Paul names names. He names situations. He addresses it forthright. But that's not what he does here. He doesn't say, you know, Yodi is about 80% right and Syntec only 20%. Come on, Syntec, get it together. He doesn't say, hey, both of you are out to lunch. This is the way it ought to be. He doesn't do that. It's not a doctrinal issue. It's not a theological issue. It's a preferential issue. It's a demanding uniformity issue. And so what does Paul say? He says, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. I wonder if Paul would look at Philippians 4, 2, and 3, and he'd say that's what's going on right now. I would say the last five months have been the most disunified aspect of our nation ever. It's a time period where there's anger and bitterness and malice and division, and that's not only outside the church. That's also in the church. You may not be aware, but there are a lot of hurting leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. I know a lot of senior pastors locally and across the state and even nationally. Just the other day, uh, I was in a chat on email with some other pastors, and one of them said, you know, because we went inside too early or we stayed outside instead of going inside, or because we are a mask, or we are not a mask, or he names something to do with COVID. Three families have told me they're not coming back. It's not a book, chapter, and verse. It's a preferential. People have strong opinions. We ought to vote our opinions. We ought to graciously voice our opinions. But if it's not book, chapter, and verse, we can strive together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet this pastor said, three families, key families have told me they'll never be back. And another pastor responded, 
And I won't forget his words any too quick. He said, I know what you mean. There are daggers on all sides. And if you knew these pastors, you would know that they're not making decisions along with their elder board based on their political views. They're not making decisions based on what they want to do in spite of what others. They're trying to make the best possible decision to safeguard the church and to gather people together and to keep people safe. I'm not reckless, but I'm also not afraid of COVID-19. Not personally, not for me, but I'm afraid for others. A Saturday night doesn't go by without me waking up at one in the morning in a cold sweat, begging God that we make the right decision, that we gather people together in an efficient, safe way, that fellowship can take place, and yet nobody gets sick and nobody dies. I don't know a single pastor or elder board that is making decisions based upon their own preferences. I just don't know that. But I see people making decisions on their knees, prayerfully asking God to give wisdom. And I see a huge difference between unity, book, chapter, and verse, doctrine, theology, in which we have to agree and strive together, hand in hand for the sake of the gospel, and uniformity that demands issues that are not book, chapter, and verse. And you better do it my way or else get out of my airspace. And there's a difference between unity and uniformity. What does Paul say to Yodia and Sintek? He says, agree in the Lord. It's not a technical phrase. Extend the olive branch. Kiss and make up. Let bygones be bygones. Work together. Strive together for the sake of the gospel. From time to time, I'll have couples come to my office and maybe they have been married for a long time and there's been a lot of friction and tension in their marriage and they've let it go long, long, long too far. It's, it's really gotten bad. And I typically start in prayer and then I'll say to the guy, you have seven or eight minutes, and please share your heart. Nobody will interrupt you. And then I'll say to the gal, you have seven or eight minutes, please share your heart. No one will interrupt you. And if what they share is similar, then we have something to work with. We have some areas to explore and work on together. But sometimes the conflict is so old and so large and so intertangled, and their stories are so radically different I say, you know what? Why don't we ask the Lord for forgiveness and ask one another for forgiveness? We'll make rules going forward, boundaries going forward, a plan going forward, but we're never going to solve the past. If we try and solve the past, we'll be here for years. And some couples will say, yeah, that's great. And, and others will say, no, we've got to solve every issue. My heart goes out to them because I think they're going to be in therapy forever and ever and ever and, and possibly never make enough progress. Paul says, agree in the Lord. 
And I wonder. I wonder, writing under the inspiration of God, if Paul is not also bringing forth the school of hard knocks that he has lived through. And he wants better for them. Paul went on three missionary journeys. Some say four. There's evidence clearly for three. And you remember that first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas, they headed out. And Barnabas' cousin or nephew, same Greek word, which is why you have it interchangeable in different translations. Paul and Barnabas and his nephew cousin, John Mark, they went on on the first missionary journey. It was between a year and a half and two years. It was 1,600 miles. They headed to the Galatia region. And the Galatia region, it's not just a church, it's an entire region. It was known for marauders and bandits. It was known for malaria. And somewhere in there, John Mark turned around and went home. Maybe the trip was too long. It's a year, year and a half to two years. Maybe it's too many miles, 1,600 miles. Maybe it's the marauders or the bandits or the malaria. For whatever reason, young John Mark leaves. Paul and Barnabas continue the ministry. They plant churches. They strengthen people in Christ. And eventually they go home. And that was AD 48 or 49. About a year passes. And Paul comes to Barnabas and says, hey, let's go on another missionary journey. This one will be longer. It'll be 3,100 miles. It'll be longer in length, probably two to two and a half years. They'll go back to those churches. They'll strengthen those churches and, and they'll expand and plant additional churches. And they get set to go and it appears that Barnabas has talked to John Mark and said, hey, Grab your knapsack, maybe a walking stick, maybe some Merrill shoes. Let's head out together. And Paul suddenly realizes that John Mark is going with them. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You burned me once, that's on you. You burned me twice, that's on me. I'm not letting this guy go. He abandoned us the last time. No way. And Barnabas says, oh, no, no. It's been a year. He's matured in Christ. He's going to be an asset. He's got to come with us. And, and the fissure between them was so hot. The preference between them was so hot. They demanded not unity, but personal preference. And Barnabas and John Mark went in one direction. And Paul, Silas, and Timothy went in another direction. And Paul and Barnabas never really ministered together again. Now you remember what happened a number of years later. Paul is in prison again in Rome. This time he won't be released. He'll be part of the persecution and the martyrdom of Nero. It's 65 or 66 AD. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 11, he says, Luke is with me. Get John Mark. Bring him to me, for he is useful to me. He's talking about the same guy. The same guy, by the way, who along with Peter will pen the gospel to Mark. And so John Mark has matured. And I wonder. I wonder if Paul looks back at that situation. And he looks at Yodia and Syntyche, 
who have been striving with them side by side in the gospel, fellow yoke women, these leaders in the church, and he wants better for them, much better for them. And he wants better for us. One of the phrases I've used with a number of my co-workers over the last five months is that this ought to be the greatest hour of the church. We're not going to coast through COVID. We're not going to treat it as a sabbatical. We're not going to work less hours. We're going to work more hours. This ought to be the church's greatest hour. And I wonder if it is. I wonder if outsiders are looking at the church where we don't agree on going inside or outside. We don't agree on wearing masks or not. We don't agree on whether COVID is something big or politically motivated or somewhere in between. And I'm wondering if they say, ah, they don't agree, but look at their love. They have unity and they're not demanding uniformity. This is their greatest hour. And I hope that's what the outside world thinks and sees. This is our greatest hour. We're demonstrating the love of Christ. And that draws people to Christ. Unity is a big deal in the church, isn't it? Growing up, I grew up in a solid, good Bible-teaching church. Good family, godly family. And the pastor of the church I grew up in then had a partner. And they were great pastors, loved them to this day, admire them to this day. And one was older and one was younger. And I wish they could have seen what many of us knew. Because I kind of think maybe the older thought, maybe the younger didn't listen as well as he could. And I think maybe the younger thought the older was maybe a little out of touch. And the truth is that the older impacted this segment of the church and the younger impacted this segment and then there was this segment that was impacted by both of them and the truth is together they impacted far more than they could have alone if you added those two groups together. God used them mightily. But I think there was a little bit of unity that slid into uniformity and they began demanding their way or wanting their way and and eventually they both wrote resumes and these godly men went elsewhere leaving the church to hurt a little bit. And I wish they had seen what so many of us saw. That when they strove together in unity, the bedrock doctrines, they might have had different styles. They certainly impacted different groups. But together, God used them mightily for the kingdom. Of course, God used them mightily in other areas as well when they left the church. But I wonder what God might have done if they had stayed together within the church. God commands unity, doctrine, bedrock theology, striving together for the sake of the gospel. But he doesn't demand uniformity that we agree on secondary issues or non-biblical issues or issues without book, chapter, and verse. The year was 1984. We're in Northern California in a substation. There a switch flipped over. 
it was an inexpensive part, a little breaker, and it somehow flipped over. And in order to protect the power grid, a number of other switches then began to create a blackout. It was during rush hour. And it affected Oregon, Washington, California, and Arizona, and New Mexico, and Nevada, and even in to Texas. One little switch, one little breaker, and it had such an immense impact. Now that's pretty dramatic, right? Well, to a much smaller degree, I think when we break fellowship with one another, and not only demand unity, Adherence to doctrine and theology, which is biblical, but also uniformity. You agree on my preferences or my politic or how I view COVID or how I view and fill in the blank. I think the repercussions become ripple effects. And it damages the church of Jesus Christ. I believe this ought to be the finest hour of the church. And I trust for many of you, because of how you are living and how you're handling very difficult circumstances with great grace, this is the finest hour. And may it be the finest hour for all of us. For in the words of Paul, on those secondary issues, that uniformity issues, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, uh, help us to know the difference between unity on bedrock doctrine and theology and uniformity, demanding our preferences in areas where we have strong opinions, we have strong viewpoints, we can vote on them, we can share them, but help us to do so with grace and with love. Father, help us not to demand uniformity but to show grace. Help us to learn from Yodia and Syntyche and Paul and Barnabas and maybe even past failures in our own lives. May your name be glorified and your bride, the church, have great unity for your glory and our betterment. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.